is where business ideas and passions turn into profit. Napkin ideas are no longer tucked away in drawers, and women around the globe are turning their hobbies into million-dollar businesses. Welcome to Million Dollar Hobbies. Here's your host, world-renowned jewelry designer and Shop HQ celebrity, Victoria Wick. Welcome to another episode of the Million Dollar Hobbies podcast. If you've always wanted to know what it's like, what it takes to be an entrepreneur, not once or twice, but multiple times. If you always wanted to know what it's really like to be on the shark tank and be a contestant, go through the whole process. If you always wanted to know what it's like to be a great investor, well, guess what? My guest today, Matt Franklin, has done it all, been there and done that. And he has some incredible lessons and, you know, sharing some moments of, uh, where he's gained some wisdom as well as some pain here. And, uh, and by the way, one more thing about Matt, he is the host of the Rogue Retirement Lounge podcast. If you are an entrepreneur, um, I've got to tell you, I kind of suffer from the same thing that a lot of us entrepreneurs don't think about retirement. Uh, even though we think about retirement all the time, we're very poor at planning. So I take a listen um, at his podcast, Rogue Retirement Lounge, because uh, he may have uh, some real wisdom for some of us. Anyway, thank you so much for joining our show today, Matt. Welcome. Thank you, Victoria. I'm excited to be here. That's good. Thank you so much. So, um, hey, Matt, you are, first of all, I know everyone wants to know what it's like to be on the Shark Tank and all that, but we'll get to that in just one second. So you created this product called a Posture Now product, right? I think I've actually bought one for my mother-in-law, who's actually now 100 years old. Oh, wow. And, uh, she turned 100 in the middle of COVID, last October. So she'll be on Oh, wow. So, uh, so you, you, you're the inventor of that, or were you the marketer of that? You were both. Uh, I'm the co-inventor, yep. Okay, so, um, so that was your first entrepreneurship journey, or was that your, what you were best known for? That's what I was kind of best known for. Yeah, I was already uh, well into my entrepreneurial journey when we came out with that product. Okay, so that, that's the product that you went on the Shark Tank with, right? Yep, yep. Okay, that's really interesting. So what was it like to be on the Shark Tank and why did you go on it? And would you advise other people to try to get on it? Okay, well, um, first off, it was... Uh, if, if you've ever skydived, if you ever jumped out of an airplane, I say that it's a, a mix of super adrenaline and terror. And that was what being on Shark Tank was like. It was an adrenaline rush and it was exciting. And it, we knew that it was going to be potentially life-changing, but it was also completely frightening to go in front of the sharks and to be put on the spot. And, um, and, and just between you and me, we were a little hungover that day. We weren't <laughs> at our best. Um, and, uh, you know, so we went on and we were, we, it was just, it was absolutely terrifying. Everything turned out well. And I'm, I'm super excited that we, we did it, but it was a, quite a frightening experience. But for anyone who's considering getting on the show or auditioning for it, I say go for it. Even if you have no intention of giving away equity in your company, the exposure you get from being on that show is worth its weight in gold. Oh, I'm sure. I guess, you know, all media is kind of good, 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 good news. Um, yep. I would say from my point of view, 
I mean, just getting feedback from, you know, people who the sharks on there, I think is uh, priceless. So I would say that that's good. Well, the other thing yeah. too, is I think you being hung over might have been a blessing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, you know, I mean, it is, if you have not been on TV, you know, like where you're put on the spot, you know, cause a lot of times when you go on TV, you got a PR agent or somebody, you know, telling you, prepping you what's going to happen. Right. But with Shark Tank, you don't. And they're actually looking for a reason to tear you apart and not buy, you know, things from you. So that could be terrifying. So, you know, maybe it was a planned thing. Maybe it was divine intervention that you ended up, you know, hung over. That, okay. that, that could be. Or, yeah, <laughs> or maybe it's just a bad lifestyle and not being very smart. <laughs> well, hopefully you, since you, you are now um, coaching people or advising people on how to retire, hopefully you've come out of that phase of living. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So listen, so what, you know, just, if you could um, just say it in just a few words, what is it like to be like a true entrepreneur? So you go from co-inventing you and your partner inventing the posture now, which is a device. It's like a, it's like a soft device. It actually kind of uh, puts your posture in an ideal position kind of, you know, between your arms. So what is it like to, to go from an idea into creating a sample, the product, and then getting distribution and then getting PR where you could actually get onto Shark Tank? So just walk us through that whole step, step by step. Okay. Yeah. Well, it was, it was, it, it, it all started when uh, my first business, I uh, do video production, corporate video work. And so I had a client that had me doing some video uh, editing on site at their, there was a fortune 500 company. I was on, on location there and they literally put me in a supply closet for two weeks where I was in about a maybe eight foot by eight foot room where I was surrounded by dry erase pens and reams of paper, no windows. And I called my buddy who lived in New York. I live in Portland. I called him and I said, dude, let's, we got to do something. Let's make an infomercial and get rich. And he said, well, I have an idea for a a posture corrector. And so I said, okay, let's, let's get together and make it happen. So we flew to Chicago that next weekend, met up, we had a bunch of elastic and Velcro and we came up with how this thing might look. And we came up with some drawings and then I came back and I started reaching out to manufacturers in China. Um, and I had no idea how to do any of this. This was all done improvisationally. I just kind of thought, okay, well, who might be able to build a little posture corrector? And so I found belt manufacturers in China and I reached out to probably at least 50 different manufacturers of belts and said, Hey, here's a drawing. I need a sample. And some of them came back and said, no, some of them came back and said, the sample is going to cost you a thousand dollars. Some of them came back and said, yeah, I can do it for 50 bucks or whatever. And I got a few samples from a few different companies. One was really good. And so we went back and forth and had them make some changes. And so within nine months of that first meeting in Chicago, we had a thousand units of product here. We had a website up and we were selling them. So the, and we, and neither of us knew anything about manufacturing, uh, you know, distribution, any, any of that, especially dealing with uh, international uh, stuff and logistics. So we just learned as we go. And so when, when, when entrepreneurs ask me, you know, how do I get started? I just tell them, just get started. And, yeah. and, you know, there's Google, everything is 
Uh, there's a Marie Forleo book called Everything is Figureoutable. Fixable. And Everything is Fixable. Okay. Well, uh, there, she's she's also got a, a book called Everything is oh, Figureoutable. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and basically the whole essence of the book is, is that if you don't know how to do something, the answer is out there. Don't right. let the fact that you don't understand how to do something stop you from you know, uh, you know, taking action. And so we, because we didn't know better, we just figured it out as we went. And next thing you know, a couple of years later, we're on Shark Tank with this goofy little product. That's really interesting. Um, your answer I found very interesting and inspiring because I think that a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, you know, forget the entrepreneurs. I think if you were just going out, I mean, it's COVID. So both you, you know, you're in Portland, I'm in San Diego. Uh, both of our states, unfortunately, you know, uh, our movements are still quite uh, restricted uh, due to right. restrictions. But before that, you know, you would go out to lunch, uh, meet some friends at a convention or even uh, around the office. And I mean, how many times have you heard of people say, I have this great idea or, you know, have you ever thought about doing this? I mean, people walk around with ideas all out, you know, in their heads all the time, you know, because yep. our lives are not perfect. Things that we buy are not perfect. Um, there, you know, but we've just like learned to settle, um, you know, gardening equipment, things like that, you know, break, uh, very often, you know, so when an entrepreneur comes up with an idea, a lot of times it's the person that takes the action to get the sample made, figure out, I have this idea. I understand the market's really huge and I could do, you know, th the next four things and, you know, get it to market and figure it out. Um, so in the first few months or, you know, the first phase of your business, you've learned to go from a drawing phase, like actually drawing you know, sketches out to yep. finding some potential contacts to make samples. Because when you're talking about posture and that kind of a product, since the product category did not exist before, you've had to go into ancillary places like people who makes, you know, belts, Velcro, whatever. Yep. Then you've had to deal with international suppliers, I mean, in their time zones, but also th their way of doing business, their minimums and all that stuff. And then right. you somehow brought it here to market, right? Yep. So, and I love that because when I started my business in 1989, those options didn't exist. There was no Alibaba. Um, there was uh -huh. no Google. Okay. There was no way to effectively market your product. I mean, there was no internet, right? So, but today, everything you said that you did, except making samples, is all free. Mm -hmm. Internet's free. Google's yep. free. If you got a mobile phone anyway, you can make all those calls or whatever. I mean, it's all there, right? And you can actually YouTube just about anything you want and find <laughs> solutions, right? So totally, I would say, you know, go ahead and get started. Have some faith. And, um, you know, get and, and I, the other thing I, I think that that you did that was really smart was how you got more than one sample from a variety of different people, because sometimes, you know, in my jewelry business, from my sketches, which is crystal clear, because I mean, I will actually spec how many stones, what millimeter size, how high everything. Mm -hmm. When the sample comes back, you'd be surprised how far off they were from your spec, right? Right. So it is kind of, you know, I would suggest that you get a few samples to find out, you know, touch and feel the quality. 
the other thing I you said that I really love too is how likability, um, you as a person being likable, uh, being somebody who's flexible enough to, you know, kind of please your customers and all that, that all kinds, you know, not only does that play into your customer base, but also with your vendors. Vendors oh, yeah. like to make samples for people who are jerks. I assure you yeah. of this one for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah. it, it, you know, likability is really important. Now, if you, you, you get started with this and then you end up uh, on Shark Tank, and I'm sure getting, even getting on the Shark Tank itself, just the process itself of getting on it, isn't like you pick up the phone and call up Kevin Harrington and go, hey, Kev, <laughs> you know, we're old buddies, <laughs> let's get on it. I mean, it, right. it, the whole process, a, a really um, extensive, uh, stressful, you know, several days of processes. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, what it takes actually to, to make it through the end of the line, you know, cause there are hundreds oh. of essence for every, every show that you've got going there. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, actually I, for our season, I, I think the number was 27,000 people applied okay. for Crazy. our season. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the odds are very low. Um, and you have to do whatever you can to make yourself stand out. And so, the process for us, we, we went to Dallas, Dallas, Texas, there was an open audition. And so we were there with about 600 other people uh, in 95 degree heat, 95% humidity, and um, stood in line for hours. And uh, before, before you go to one of these auditions, they, they give you about a 40 page application where you go deep, deep, deep into your business. And it took us a like a, literally a full day to fill out this 40 page application. And so the day before we were just, and it was not fun. It was a pain. We were not numbers people. They were asking numbers. I mean, deep, super deep. So we get to this audition, we get in front of the producer, we hand him the application and he says, well, where's, where's yours. We were supposed to have filled out two of them. And this thing literally took us eight hours to fill out. So yeah. we, we go through our pitch and he's like, here's, here's another application, go outside, fill this out and then come back in and give it to me. So we're like, Oh, you gotta be kidding. So we go out into the hunt. Now it's a hundred degrees outside. We go and we sit there at mad dash scrambling to try to get this thing filled out and, um, and try to remember what the answers were because he had our original. Yeah. Yeah. So we're in full panic mode and we finally get it filled out. We go back and the guy, the security guy won't let us in. It was just we're like, they're like a deadline. Yeah. 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 And it will, and they were still going, but the guy was like, you're not coming in. And so we, we ran around to the side. There was a window, fortunately, and we we're standing outside literally doing jumping jacks, like trying to attract the attention of the guy, yeah. finally, he sees us, he sends the security guard to us and grabs this. And so the guy grabs it. And when he got, when this producer got back to LA, the only people that he remembered after seeing over a hundred people, he's like, I remember those two clowns standing outside yeah. doing jumping jacks, trying to get my attention. And that's what got us the call back. So I guess that was a gift. Everything, you know, that 
the separation Absolutely. of sort of a given. Okay, so yeah. now everyone who is listening to this, hopefully most, almost everyone has watched a Shark Tank um, episode or two. So we kind of know what happens, you know, when you go on there. What I was going to talk about next is um, obviously when you go on it, even the people who don't get bought, you know, whose products don't get bought or whose products, frankly, just or your business model, whatever gets taken apart on the show. Mm -hmm. uh, That's, by the way, one of the few things I really don't like about the show, because I'd rather have them take each contestant and teach them what what it would take for them to succeed rather than just say, hey, you know, you're out. And that's right. There's an element of that. And I think it's part of the big show. But um, so we know pretty much what happens, you know, after all of that, you know, you your product still gets this incredible coverage that money really cannot buy. Most small businesses cannot buy. And so you've gone through the whole process now. Now you've since then um, become an investor retirement coach and um and you've you basically like you said yourself you know come into other businesses so tell us a little bit about why entrepreneurs even when they are successful the one thing they don't really do well is retirement planning um a lot of entrepreneurs you know i know for myself like i've you know just really achieved great successes by other people's standards. But having gone through this journey, you know, I went from zero to $500 million in sales uh, in my career without any banking or, you know, anybody. But I still felt like, oh my God, the rainy day is just around the corner. So I can't stop. Um, I got to, you know, like save every penny for my cash flow for my business. And you reinvest, you know, keep on doing the same thing. So entrepreneurs are not very good at planning their own retirement or even just have an exit plan. So Mm -hmm. why is that? And what is your advice for the entrepreneurs? Well, I've, I've come up with four main reasons among the the entrepreneurs that I've talked to why entrepreneurs are so bad at retirement planning. Um, Reason number one is because of the variable nature of the income that we receive. Okay. I know in my business, it, for the last 15 years, I've been doing video production and it's feast or famine. Some months you'll have a bunch of money come in and then sometimes you'll have receivables that go out for six months and you're poor for six months. And that happens for most business people, for most people who have small businesses, these feast or famine periods. And so it's not like you can automatically deduct a certain amount from your paycheck. It's not like when you have a normal job, you've got the 401k and it's just kind of automatic. So that's like one of the main things. Uh, The other thing is, is that most people feel like their business is going to be their retirement, meaning that either it's going to be on autopilot when they reach a certain age, or they're going to be able to sell it, exit and uh, live on the whatever kind of returns they get from their business. Unfortunately, statistics will tell you that in most cases, that's not going to be true because unfortunately, most businesses don't last more than eight years. I mean, the, the statistics are out there to back that. So um, another thing is, is that I, I, I've talked to so many people who say, well, I love what I do, so I don't plan to quit. I'm just going to keep <laughs> doing it until I'm in my 70s. And right. to them, I say, okay, well, that's great that you love what you're doing, but how much more would you love what you were doing if you didn't have to do it? Right. If you reached age 65 and you had enough investments, whatever those were in, but if you had enough to live on 
and you didn't have to work, how much more awesome would it be to be doing what you're doing? Right. Or truth be told, would you choose to maybe do something else? Right. Um, and then uh, the last, uh, the last of the four reasons is uh, why entrepreneurs are so bad is that nobody teaches you as an entrepreneur how to plan for your retirement. I've read literally dozens of, of entrepreneurial books. I've been to the, the seminars, the Jack Canfields and the Tony Robbins. I've watched the webinars, the Brendan Burchards, all those things in not one of the books or programs or videos or any of the, the things that I've seen about entrepreneurship, not one of them was the word retirement even mentioned. Yeah, it's, a not, it's, it's not a sexy thing to think about. Yeah. Everyone wants you to believe that your business, if you start a new business, that's going to make you rich. Um, so nobody teaches you about it. So that really, that factor right there is why I started my podcast is because I want to help entrepreneurs know that they need to have a plan if they want to eventually be able to enjoy their old age and not have to work every day. And, you know, Matt, let's face it. Um, I, I would say that like your average entrepreneur, even if you're successful and even if you are somebody who is extremely passionate about what you started and you don't want to exit, I mean, there's only so much you could do. And there's only, you know, at some, you know when you're hitting your 70s and everybody else is playing golf or doing whatever they're doing, um, and let's say you do retire at age 70, you know, I mean, the fact is people are living so much longer now. Yep. Um, I mean, I've got my mother is in her late 80s. My mother-in-law is 100. And both women, I mean, my mother is, I mean, extremely healthy. And I you know, expect her to live another 20 years easily. So, you know, it's not like you plan for your retirement until you're like 80 or 85 anymore. You got to plan for a lot right. longer. So if you're an entrepreneur, you better kind of think about that because- you know, um, and a lot of entrepreneurs don't realize that like, you might be put into a forced retirement because the marketplace for any, pro you know, just like, like your posture now, you know, for any product, uh, the life cycle of a product that has this very, you know, big peak, it's going to attract competitors, different ways yeah. of doing things. You're not going to be on top for 30 years. Absolutely. Um, and if you get good 10, 15 years out of it, you're really lucky unless you keep on, you know, elevating and evolving. So, um, so what is your advice? Now you've pinpointed uh, some of the main reasons and I completely agree with the, with a lot of them because they apply to me directly. Um, and I know a lot of other entrepreneurs who, who think the same way, you know, and when we go to seminars, we think of things that could you know, help our businesses, help our mindset, but we don't think about retirement. So what is your advice now for entrepreneurs that are, you know, sort of like at the peak of their game for retirement? Well, ultimately, I say to start, when you start a business, you should start that one business, but you should also start a second business, which is your retirement and write a business plan for your retirement. And that starts with kind of the end in mind. And, and that is, what is your vision for what your old age is going to look like? You know, you're going to have, I, I say that you're going to have basically three phases of your old age. You're going to have that kind of the honeymoon phase of old age when you are uh, first retired, when you're still healthy and you can do anything. You can go travel, you can climb mountains, you can go fly fishing, you can do all those. 
So write a vision for the stuff that you want to do in that phase. Then you're going to have this kind of settling down phase where you're going to want to stay closer to home and write out a vision for what you're going to do. Okay. When you're kind of more homebound and then you've got your third, which is the, the really scary one that no, no one wants to face, which is kind of your foot in the grave area where you're going to be more dependent, where you might need long-term care and write out I, and write out a vision for what that's going to look like for you. You know, are you going to, do you have family that's going to be able to help you? Are you going to want to go into a, you know, an assisted living type situation? If you have a clear vision for what those three phases are going to look like, then you can kind of associate costs with those. Okay. So I know that for my initial first phase, I'm going to have to make X number of dollars in order to live the lifestyle that I want, which includes a lot of travel, some adventures, some cool stuff, um, doing, you know, taking flying lessons, finally finishing, getting my pilot's license. I've got all this stuff mapped out. So I need X number of dollars per year based on inflation to make that phase work. I've also got the second phase worked out and the third phase. So that's what I tell people is start with the end in mind, figure that out. Because people, once you start to look at it, it's like, oh, wow, this is going to be a lot more, aging is going to be a lot more expensive than I initially thought about. I thought, okay, you know, maybe I could live on 50 grand a year if I bought a little place in suburban Boise, Idaho. Um, But if you really do map out what you want your life to look like, you're going to find out that it's going to cost you a lot more. So that's, that's the first thing I tell people. Wow. That's really interesting. So where do like, okay. So I completely hear you in terms of um, aging costs a lot more. I mean, that $50,000 home in suburban, whatever you think about by the time you get there, it's not going to be 50. That's the exactly. <laughs> the yep. second thing is, um, you know, cause I can speak for uh, my family. I've got to, you know, mother-in-law and my mom. And, you know, luckily they, you know, by the time they're retired, they're retired, they retired, you know, quite a few years ago. And luckily by the time they're aging, they were just now like this last three or four years is when the, the cost of living has gotten so high for that age group. Um, you know, right. uh, mother-in-law is living in assisted nursing care. And I think it's, um, you know, somewhere between five, six to $12,000 a month, you know, in mm-hmm. California. Yep. Um, she's in a nice place, but you know, that's what it's costing. So it is, if you think about the number of dollars you're going to need for that many years, it's, it's, it's quite a bit. Um, so I hear you that, um, you know, entrepreneurs should plan almost like a, a, another business plan to, so are you suggesting then that out of when you have those peaks where you are getting some money to put that money away into that second business monthly well, when, when you can, yes, absolutely. Okay. And I mean, it, it, treat it like a bill, one, like, 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 yeah, like if, if possible, yeah. treat it like, yeah, treat it like a bill that has to be paid. Right. Um, because if you kind of reverse engineer your retirement plan and you realize, okay, I'm going to need this much, this much, and this much, you can kind of figure out, okay, well, and there's compound interest calculators. There's a million ways to figure out how you're going to get to that number, but if you do have that end in mind, you're going to realize, okay, I need to put away X number of dollars per year, regardless. So that might mean a, that might mean every time money comes in, you put a certain percentage away. That might mean you get a side hustle. 
that, you know, that might mean you start a second business. Maybe you start doing, I mean, I, 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 during the summers, I go to garage sales and I buy records and I sell them on eBay because mm-hmm. I like doing that. Yeah. So I'm not going to get rich doing it, but that provides supplemental income. That's fun. And so going to garage sales and buying records, it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And that money goes straight into my retirement. Uh, it, it, I never see it. Um, so maybe you have to have a side hustle. Maybe you have to figure out an automatic payment plan where oh. you pay yourself. Maybe you figure out, okay, my returns that I'm getting in the stock market aren't enough. So maybe you need to switch your investment strategy and maybe move towards something that provides more cash flow, like for instance, real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's a there's a ton of variables, but once you have that end in mind, you should know how panicked you need to be. If, yeah, if you will. I, yeah, I hear. You. I think the point is that you should plan it, uh, plan it well, because you know things like real estate is very localized. Uh, my husband's in the real estate business, and I can tell you that there are quite a few people who lose money in good markets, and there are quite a few people who lose money in bad markets. You know, they tend to lose money in both different scenarios, and some people actually right. make in both different scenarios too. So you'd have to kind of uh, really, um, I, I, I guess, be active in your own retirement. Uh, the second question I have about the whole retirement angle is that um, do you uh, recommend like lawyers, uh, things like um, uh, living will, or, you know, things that because like when you reach the end years, uh, you know, how you handle your estate can, you know, increase the quality of life you're living. And then if you have anybody that you care about to leave your things or finances to, you could enhance their quality of life as well, just by understanding how to set your, you know, end years in life. Uh, do you recommend that? You know, I have really avoided the whole kind of giving legal advice and estate advice. Yeah. Um, and, and for two main reasons, one, I'm not a lawyer and, and I, I don't feel comfortable in that realm. Yeah. And also number two, I'm, I'm a single guy. I don't have kids and I'm not really thinking about legacy. Yeah. So I really talk about the things that, that juice me. And that's mainly kind of the planning, yeah. the structuring and treating it like a business and the investing side of things. You know, I think that's really neat because I think that uh, people who are single, um, who, you know, I have a lot of friends who are like, you know, in their 60s and 70s who have who chosen not to have any kids. Some of them right. are widowed, and so they are now single or widowed. Um, so if you treat your, your retirement plan the way you have planned it, which is, um, you know, how much money is it going to take for me to live, um, you know, the phase one, two, three of my post-retirement years, um, you don't become a burden to the, to your kids or other people for those of us who have kids, you know, you don't become yep. a burden, you don't, you know, so that's, I think is kind of important too. Cause if you care about people, then you are not going to want them to be burdened by taking care of you, you know, so that. Oh, absolutely. So um, when it comes to, um, you know, entrepreneurs um, basically planning for that retirement when do you think that they should start thinking about this very actively? Like in there, I mean, obviously when you first start your business, you are putting cash flow in I mean, a lot of cash in. And sometimes you've got cash gaps where you might even have to take money out of your retirement fund to start your business. So yeah. if you are not at this, if you haven't, if you have yet to hit your peak, at what point do you say, okay, well, no matter what happens, I'm going to need to start planning my retirement like now. 
Do you think that's like, um, does that depend on where you are in your entrepreneurship journey or uh, does it depend on what age group you're at? Well, I think it's, it's really about your personality and because now there's this whole movement among young people called the fire movement, the finance, financial independence, retire early. That's mm -hmm. really caught fire among, uh, you know, 30 year olds and even younger where they're living on rice and beans in order to <gasps> accumulate as much money as they possibly can. So as to retire as early as possible. And it's a whole movement. It's awesome. It's, uh, it, they do things that I couldn't do. I, I'm 50. What, what am I? 52 years old. Oh, you're, I, you're 15. Yes. Well, <laughs> it feels old in the morning, but um, I couldn't do the crazy stuff that these young kids do. Like literally like renting out, like living in a closet and living on a, a $30 a week food budget. And there, it's, it's a really crazy movement. I'm too old for that. So I, I can't, I have to work within the parameters of the comforts, creature comforts that I need. Yeah. But so these young kids, you know, it's to answer your question, it's never too young. You should be, even if you start your business at age 25, you should start thinking about, and if you can only put away 25 bucks a month, only put away 25 bucks a month, have your, have a compound interest calculator in your pocket on your phone at all times and look at what that $25 a month is going to do for you. Because the, the, the power of compound interest, what uh, I think Einstein called it the eighth wonder of the world. If you start when you're 25, we've all heard it. You, you it's the earlier you start, the better. So um, I say for anyone who's starting business, no matter how young you are, just figure out a way to put away a little bit yeah. every month and try to make that increase over time. I love that. I love that uh, real common sense approach to uh, abundant retirement that you, you uh, preach and you talk about on your show. So if you, um, I, you know, first of all, thank you so much for coming on. And I want to remind my audience to go ahead and, um, like Matt said, it's never too young to retire. It's never too young to plan for your retirement. And you're never too old to do that, obviously, as well. So retirement is something that we're all going to face as human beings at some point. So he has a podcast called Rogue Retirement Lounge, which it deals with this issue uh, every episode, which is amazing. And uh, what, as you heard um, his uh, advice today, you know what I love about what everything you said is... Um, it's not like the new slick new, you know, retirement vehicle that you came up with and all, you know, everybody needs to jump on it. This is like real down to earth, common sense, foolproof thing that every person needs and every person can use. So, I mean, you are using some, you know, there are a lot of tools out there that you can use to, you know, figure out what the compound interest rates are, you're getting all this stuff. But right. I love the advice you have given, which is, um, not only are they common sense things, but because they are so common sense and easy and everything that we need, that they're very easy to follow. Absolutely. Very easy to understand. Yep. So I love that. Um, so check out his, uh, his uh, you know, podcast. Um, and I'm going to certainly check out, you know, I'm going to actually start to listen to this pretty regularly. <laughs> so, but thank you so much for coming on, Matt. And uh, for all of you at home, uh, this is the end of our show. Until next time. 
uh, stay healthy and wealthy. And uh, by the way, Matt, how do people get a hold of you, my audience, um, other yeah, than the podcast? I, well, my website is rogueretirementlounge.com, R-O-G-U-E. Uh, okay. And that's the easiest way to get a hold of me. Um, and also, real quick, I just want to echo something that I heard on your podcast. Mm -hmm. You were talking about what it takes to be an entrepreneur in the last couple of episodes. Yeah. And you were talking about the starting with why. And when you said that having your why be money will never work. No. That is the wisest thing because our why when we created our goofy posture product mm -hmm. was money. And that's why we don't. We're, we're not really working on it. We have no passion for it. We never really had any passion for it. We were, we were lucky for a while, but having that why that's not money is of epic importance for entrepreneurs who are starting out. And so I just want to echo that because that was a brilliant part of what, what you were saying. And it's so, so true. Well, thank you so much. And um, again, thank you for listening for all, you know, all of you who come here week after week. And if you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and do so. Um, and anything you do in terms of giving us reviews or sharing it would be greatly appreciated. And until next time, stay healthy, stay well, and remember happiness is a choice. Thank you. You've been listening to Million Dollar Hobbies, where we turn dreams into reality and passion into profit. According to ancient Chinese proverb, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Congratulations on taking that first step today. For more information on how Victoria can help you turn your hobby into a million dollars and to download Victoria's free ebook on passion-based business ideas, visit milliondollarhobbies.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player.